Hello friends and welcome to the show. This episode of HR Oxygen is brought to you by Boss Builders University. If you're looking to train up your supervisors and managers, please check out our newest offering, The Art of Being a Great Boss. In this 13-month program, I'll be taking your managers through a driving results curriculum, and that includes topics on communication, performance management, motivation, delegation, problem solving, decision making, team development, and much more. The sessions are virtual, running one hour each month, and I'll do it using our popular sketch and seminar graphic art and storytelling format. No boring PowerPoints, stale stories, and outdated tools and techniques. The sessions are engaging and provide tactical, practical tools that can be used immediately after the sessions. You can have either your entire organization take our program, or if you have just a few folks, join one of our open enrollment cohorts that start every other month. For more information, visit us online at thebossbuilders.com. Well, I'm sure one of the things that is probably on your radar screen is DE&I and the issues and the thoughts around that. For a lot of organizations, these are priorities they're looking at right now. And if you are being tasked with that, you might not really have any idea of where you should start. Well, fortunately, we have a great guest for you today. Joy Johnson Carruthers is a DE&I consultant who lives in the Nashville, Tennessee area. I met Joy, I guess, about a year or so ago, and we've sort of been in touch off and on. But this is an area where Joy is an expert. And so we're going to talk to her about some of the things that are important if you are having to look at some of these initiatives. And even for those of you who are thinking about maybe one day making the switch and saying, look, I want to be a DE&I consultant. How do I get started? Joy has the answers to both of those very important questions. She was a great guest. I highly encourage you to look her up when we're done today. But we got to start getting on with it. So let's quit talking about her. Let's talk to her. You know what time it is. Let's make sure that personal items under the seat in front of you. Make sure the seatbelt is buckled low and across your hips. Time for us to taxi up to the runway. Should the cabin lose pressure, oxygen masks will drop from the overhead area. Please place the mask over your own mouth and nose before assisting others. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast, the show focused on the overworked, overwhelmed, and underappreciated HR professional. And now, here is the host of our show, the boss builder, Mac Monroe. Joy Johnson Carruthers, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Hey, I'm really glad that we could finally do this. So I'll just kind of set up the background a little bit of how I met you. Uh, I live in Middle Tennessee, as do you. And I've seen your name as being involved in our local SHRM, Middle Tennessee SHRM chapter. And then I had the privilege of sitting across the table from you at our one and only in-person meeting, I think we had all last yes. year. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think we ever had one after that, but it was mm -hmm. nice because I see your picture. I got to meet you and then we talked and one thing led to another and here we are today. And so today what we're going to talk about is really a couple of things. Uh, your background is a real interesting one. So I want you to tell us about that, but also what you're doing today, which I think is really, really important. And I wanted you to talk us through the processes that you use and more about this really important subject. And then we'll kind of get down to how you might be able to help us out as we start to uh, make some inroads in this. So Joy, why don't we start at the beginning? Mm -hmm. I'd like you to tell us about your background and then tell us from your background, what you're doing today. Okay. So I'm going to try to go through this because I feel like I've had nine lives and I'm on night, life number nine. 
Yikes, um, you better be really careful then, huh? <laughs> yes, but each life has a long span. So I uh, went to a uh, HBCU, historically a black college university at Lincoln University, and grew up watching all of these uh, police and detective stories. So I wanted to be FBI, CIA investigator and, and make a difference in law enforcement. So I received my degree, criminal justice, and ran out of money while I was in college. So I joined the U.S. Army. And because of my interests and scores was placed in a military police or military police unit and used that to leverage, you know, financially to finish college. And I joined the St. Louis County Police Department. And my goal was to spend a few years on a police department and then transition because at that time they said um, you had to be at least 25 to apply for the FBI or CIA. And I was a little younger, so they said your best route. So I did the police department. But after about two years on the police department, I was hit by a drunk driver. Oh, wow. While in a squad car. And um, because of those injuries that I sustained from that, uh, from, from, from that car accident while on duty, I was not able to return to work. So I, I transitioned from that to just really working on my health. And so I started um, doing kind of what like jazzercise exercise and just trying to really heal myself. And I opened my, my, my then um, family moved to Rockford, Illinois, and I opened the first uh, African-American-owned uh, exercise studio um, called Aero Body Fitness. And that was interesting um, because we were kind of doing an, uh, what, what we call funk aerobics. But from that grew this children's dance company. And the children were, you know, oftentimes, you know, nowhere to go after school and so i started this children's dance company and i got really interested in cultural dance and you know we learned uh african cultures and we would do shows we would travel to different schools and talk to students about not only african and african-american culture but how our cultures are more alike than we are different and at that time not a lot of um, organizations were doing that so we won a couple uh, the Mayor's Blueprint um, Award and different um, community service awards. And from that, I was able to um, apply to UCLA because I found myself uh, being asked to speak at different conferences or be keynote speaker, but found that I was being paid much less than my counterparts. And the reason that I was given over and over again, well, they have, you know, higher degrees and you don't. So I applied to UCLA just kind of on a humbug and received a full fellowship in cultural studies. And so in my studies uh, at UCLA, I actually wrote another grant and was able to study in Senegal, West Africa. So I spent a summer in Senegal, and then I also did some um, travel and work 
in South Korea. And so from that work, when I finished with my master's degree in cultural studies, I became a college professor teaching world history, humanities, and cultural studies. I've lived in many different places. And from that, just started this journey of really realizing that the, the polarization in the United States and a lot of misinformation, you know, the effects of the racial divide um, really became important to me to be a part of that messaging and that communication that brought people together versus, you know, bringing them further apart. And so there began my journey to um, really focus on not only the various cultures and the respect of those differences, but for me, in my heart, was born diversity and inclusion. And so for the past 20 years, in addition to full-time work, I have always worked um, in the area of diversity, equity, and inclusion to advance the, the tenants and particularly focused on helping organizations uh, achieve better business outcomes from a diverse and inclusive workforce. And for years, you know, that I did that work, um, you know, opportunities were far and few between because no one really wanted to talk about it. But since the, we all as a country witnessed the murder of George Floyd on national TV, pretty much, there has been a renewed kind of uh, urgency for organizations to tap into what does a real and true diverse and inclusive workforce look like and how can organizations grow, thrive, and financially benefit from that. And so that is the work that I do. And so I launched uh, J Training Solutions um, probably in uh, 2003, but this year it has just been uh, the word that I've used before, banana. <laughs> but as John Lewis would say, it's been all good trouble because I have just been, you know, really blessed um, with uh, a number of clients who are really serious about building a more diverse and inclusive community workforce and being a part of a more positive world. That was a long story, but you asked me. And no, I did. And I mean, so I don't know. I think I counted like six lives in there. <laughs> so you might be better off than you thought, Joe. You might only be on life maybe seven now. So you got mm. some time. That's mm. so. See, you didn't realize that, did you? Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Well, no problem. <laughs> I, I give life to the people who are at the end of it, I guess, huh? Yeah. And I think I say nine because, you know, a lot of this journey has been learning and growing. And really finding out who I am. And, you know, if you know anything about the history, you know, my my family is, you know, kind of, a, you know, a microcosm of an African-American family that really wasn't very connected to our past. Like, I can't go on 23andMe because our family records just aren't there. Um, I had a grandmother who said, you know, her great grandmother, and it was so painful. She wouldn't share those stories with us. She didn't want us to be discouraged. She wanted us to look forward and not back. So, you know, a lot of the journey 
and I think what makes me effective in working, talking and training others is that, you know, there is, a you know, a, a lot of unknowns to my past. And I've found that it's important to, you know, work and what they say, grow where you're planted. And, and, and that's what I try to do. And that's what I try to help other people to do. And so when I say the ninth life, not that I'm at the end of it, but I think that I'm positive now that I've found my voice and I've found the, the place and the space that I was created for. And so this has been my life's dream. I didn't think I could ever make a living at it, but here I am. No, here you are at what appears to be the perfect time. So I want to go back to something that you were saying. You've been doing this type of work, you said, for about 20 years now. Yeah. But now things are really picking up. Right. So from, from someone, somebody like me that just watches events unfold on TV, on the news every night, you, you had mentioned that it was harder for people to take an interest in DEI. But now all of a sudden people are interested in it. But yet I contrast that with from where I sit anyway. This is the most divided I've ever seen this country. In my, I'm 57, and you know, I guess so. 50 years, let's just say 50 years, mm -hmm. and it seems odd that in this most divided time I've ever seen, that people are actually willingly, proactively wanting to address this issue. Uh, why do you see that as being the case now? It seems like you'd had more fertile ground before we had such tensions and divisiveness in this country. Wow, that's that's that's. Well, Mac, what, what I, my experience has been is in many cases, our country has evolved where the storytelling is now coming from primary sources. And by that, I mean, we're not, you know, the, the video footage of George Floyd, it wasn't depending on Channel 4 News getting there in time to get raw footage. This footage came from the phone of those individuals in that community living in real time through a traumatic and devastating experience. And so it, it's, you know, oftentimes the story is told through the lens of the storyteller. And oftentimes you have many communities whose voices were not included in the conversation, whose stories weren't included in the history book, who, you know, the, the positive and the struggles and, you know, the, the, the real um, experiences of different communities were reduced to, you know, who was telling the story. But now with social media, now with everyone having access to a phone and a camera, a lot of these stories are being told in real time. You know, we watched Philando Castile being shot on video in real time. Mm -hmm. And these are stories that have been playing out for years, for centuries, and for the black community for over 400 years. But no one was documenting and no one was listening. And now we have a generation of kids who've grown up, you know, not, you know, kind of in a silo. We have generations of kids now who are, you know, on social media, who are in contact with people from all over the country. And so it was really easy to stay compartmentalized and to stay in, you know, maybe an information bubble. 
but now the world is changing. The world is expanding and our demographics are changing too. And so for companies, it's not such a warm, fuzzy, oh, we just want to give everybody a big old hug. For a lot of um, organizations, they're seeing with the changing demographics uh, and particularly in Nashville, you know, in the last 10 years, 56% of the growth in Nashville has been from black and brown people in our community here in Nashville. And so if a company wants to continue to grow, who, what group do you think they're going to, they're, they're going to have to diversify their hiring practices. They're going to have to widen, um, you know, their, their thoughts about what a leader looks like, because if you want to ex expand your business in some ways, you have to reflect the community in which you're doing business with. And so there's a lot of different reasons, not just emotional or moral reasons, but, you know, bottom line dollars and cents reasons why, you know, we're paying attention to this because, you know, for example, Frito-Lay, you know, a lot of people say, well, we shouldn't have these different infinity groups or employee resource groups, but Frito-Lay had allowed these groups to form. And out of these groups came, you know, like new flavors, like wasabi. That came out of a, a, a specific employee resource group that said, you know, in our community, the flavor wasabi is a favorite. So if we made a chip or if we made a, a nacho in wasabi and Frito-Lay listened to those marginalized voices and were able to make billions of dollars off of these new flavors. Crayola was now willing to, you know, listen to some voices. And so now Crayola has crayons where children can get a crayon and draw a picture of their family in all the different shades that our skin tones come in. Band-Aid brand is now coming out with Band-Aids, you know, with different skin tones. And all of these very simple, you know, ways that they've listened to marginalized voices, they've been able to tap into it financially and make billions of dollars and tap into new streams of income within communities that they had not been able to reach in that way before. You know, I'm thinking about this from like a business standpoint, and then I'm contrasting that with the groups that, you know, you mentioned like 56% of the people that are moving to Nashville are black or brown community. At what point does that result in tokenism? Like, hey, we want to make more money, so let's make wasabi chips so we can get maybe the Asian market. From where you sit, because I can't see it from where I sit, would that result in somebody being like, oh, you didn't want me. Now you only want me so you can tap into my culture so you can make more money. That that's Is that something that you worry about? Is that even real? You know, <laughs> if, if, if you are someone that has never had a seat at a table and all of a sudden, you know, even if the intent of the, the, the person extending the invitation, even if their intent is not genuine or their intent is not in your best interest, you having access to that seat at the table and you having an opportunity to contribute but then also to go back to others who don't have a seat and open doors and make a way. That's how change happens. And so if we sit and wait for everybody's 
intentions or wait for everybody's heart or everybody's, you know, um, integrity or, or morals and values to be aligned, we'll be waiting another thousand years. Sometimes change comes about because it's necessary. Sometimes change comes about is because we're not going to survive if we don't open up and expand, you know, who we let sit, sit at the table. And so, you know, it's back to that any means necessary. Like some people think that, you know, that phrase coined by Malcolm X meant violence, but sometimes it, it just means I don't really care why they invited me. The fact that I, I get invited by any means necessary, I'm happy about it. I'm going to try to sit at that table and be a voice. And I'm also going to try to sit at that table, show my worth and my value and create, use that to leverage opportunities to bring other people um, whose voices are marginalized to that table as well. And maybe if we just one by one exponentially expand that seat at the table, we'll, we'll be at a point where the word equity really exists. Because right now, if you look at some statistics, you know, we've got a lot of wonderful companies that are doing some great things, but their C-suite and E-suite is very homogenous. Yeah. So I guess from where you sit, Joy, do you have any idea of timeline? where, you know, where people will look at this less as something that they have to intentionally do and more of, hey, this is just the way we do business. Do you think that's going to happen sooner rather than later? What do you think? You know, I, I really like <clears throat> we've talked, you know, before we we started recording just about my journey. You know, there was a time where people did, you know, just the word diversity was charged. You know, most people thought the word diversity meant you know, race and the color of our skin. And we've now, you know, as a community, begin to understand that diversity means diversity of thought, diversity in age, uh, you know, diversity in, you know, short people, tall people. Um, that diversity is, is bigger than the color of one's skin. Um, there could be extreme diversity just within a family who, because of marriage and, 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 you know, people in one family can can have very different, you know, ideas about life, you know, even diversity in whether to get a COVID vaccine or not. Right. So mm -hmm. this whole, you know, thing since 2020 and all of the protests and, and all of the things that have shown up 10 years ago, five years ago, I would have never thought we'd be having these conversations. And so. I really don't know. I think it's things are moving quite fast and a lot of it is driven by the, the new technologies that we have, but a lot of it is driven by a generation of millennials and, and those coming behind them who have grown up with this technology, who've grown up with a global mindset as opposed to a regional or, you know, this is my neighborhood mindset, but they've grown up with you know, knowledge of a bigger world and, and they've grown up really, you know, if you look at the data too, just even with global warming and how we treat the planet, uh, communication, all of that is very different from 
when I grew up or when you grew up. And so I don't I, I, I don't think that I can think about a timeline. I mean, if you think about it from the time that we had our very first uh, BlackBerry cell phones to what we have now, look how fast that moved. So now we're actually on the phone talking visually with someone video. I thought that would be something like, you know, the, the next space age or something. And look how close we are to uh, self-driving cars. And maybe even in my lifetime, like the movie George Jetson, maybe we'll have flying cars. I don't know. I'm optimistic about all of it. Well, I think you should be because that, <laughs> I agree with you. I was thinking the other day of my very first non-flip cell phone mm -hmm. and how powerful that was. And then we were talking about my mom, who's got an iPhone. All she does is text and call on it. And I thought, right. wow, you know, so we have all of this technology now and it's come so quickly. I think I heard this on a podcast, too. Somebody said you could take the entire history of human beings and it'd be this gigantic thick book. But really, the last hundred years would make up 90 percent of that really thick. Yeah. Book. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, I guess I'm with you on mm -hmm. that conceptually that this yeah. could happen sooner rather than later. Right, because of, you know, and someone said, I love this statement. They said, we have a whole generation that doesn't, that has no idea how gratifying it could be to just slam the phone down on somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when we had the whole phone, we could just hang up on someone, just slam yeah, it down. Or, or, or the, or. Or the frustration of the dial where you got the first six digits right, then you screwed up and had to start over. Yeah. You know, you stick your finger yes. in the little dial thing. Right. Yeah. So, right. So, well, yeah. And, that, and that's true. That's amazing. And that's just one aspect. And yet, you're right. I mean, when I asked you that question, I had never even thought about You're right. I mean, we've basically had our history spoon fed to us. Um, and then now history is being witnessed firsthand. Yes. And maybe that's going to be the thing that really just makes things move forward quickly. No longer mm -hmm. do. Well, I guess people said in the 60s, don't trust anybody over 30. Now <laughs> we might be saying, you know, don't trust anything you don't see with your own two eyes. Maybe that's right. the new mantra. I don't know. But right. it's exciting. It's a little scary. And, you yeah. know, because it makes you wonder what will the next 10, 20, 30 years look like? Exactly. And I think exactly. the only thing we can probably agree is that it's going to look different than it is today. Right? Yeah, exactly. So Joy, let's go back to your work then. You've, you've told us why this is so important and you've given us your background, which a variety of backgrounds certainly makes for an interesting conversation. But so your role, when somebody engages you to help them, what are the kinds of things that you do? So I started out just doing workshops where, you know, hey, we want to know more about diversity and inclusion. So can you come in and do, you know, a two hour, four hour workshop on diversity and inclusion? And I did that for years. But I also found and the data will, you know, will will, will prove this out that simply taking someone through a two or a full day or even a, you know, a three day training, it's effective in that moment, but not long term. So it's more transactional. And I wanted to be a part of organizations that wanted to begin systematic changes that would be transformational, that would be sustainable. 
And so now when I work with um, companies and organizations, public and private, I go in and I do what we call a um, diversity audit. And we interview, um, you know, their their leadership. We do one-on-one coaching with um, their managers and C-suite. And we kind of dig into, you know, what is the current state of your organization? Because every organization is different. And so when we gather this information through this cultural audit, we come back with recommendations of what the next step should be. And sometimes the next step is, you know, an enterprise-wide training. But that training is focused on the data that we've gathered. Like, you know, some organizations need to focus on communication, you know, and we, we gather that, you know, the, the, the way things are communicated or the, the way changes are, are brought about in an organization. And is, is, does that create a healthy environment? Other organizations need to focus on, on bias. You know, maybe they've had some, you know, some bias or even some, some racial issues. Maybe we need to talk about, you know, being an ally and, and how do you, you know, help those margin, those who are marginalized in your organization. In some areas, it might be, you know, their hiring practices or, you know, how they promote from within or without. Uh, maybe it's nepotism, whatever that is. We kind of do a deep dive to find out, you know, where the areas of improvement um, are, where the opportunities for improvement exist. And then we go in and develop and customize training and strategies to address that. Sometimes it, you know, it might be an actual training class. Other times it might be one-on-one coaching with, you know, strategic members of the team. It might be a train the trainer. You know, there's been times when I've gone in and worked with um, an HR and the training and development group to train them how to be champions of, you know, building a diverse and inclusive organization so that those changes and that messaging can be long-lasting and transformational. Wow. So it's really a very holistic process. It's not just just you going up, doing a workshop, and then you're out the door then, right? Right, right. And like I said, I started out with that approach. And oftentimes, you know, we'd, we'd be called back, you know, maybe six months or a year later, and it's like, you know, we're right back where we started. Or the people that we trained, have now transitioned or, you know, gotten other jobs. We've got a whole new leadership group who hasn't had the training or who hasn't had the messaging. And I realized that, you know, in in some ways, I as a trainer have failed because I didn't solve for when these people in the room experiencing this training, when they leave, what legacy is going to be for the next generation of leaders. Yeah. So I guess... When it comes to this, it sounds like no two organizations are going to get the same solution then, right? No, absolutely not. And that's why I just, I kind of cringe when I hear organizations say, well, you know, we've, the, the way we've solved for our diversity and inclusion, you know, journey is that we just purchased some, uh, you know, online training. We've had all of our staff go through it mandatory. 
And I just kind of cringe because that is 100% a check the box process. And when you're trying to, you know, work with a diverse community with an off the shelf, you know, digital, you know, rendering, how is that going to speak to everyone? And then, you know, the, the data also shows that, you know, it's, it's definitely easier and sometimes more cost effective to do online training, but there's, there's very little, um, value add or lasting impact. You know, people learn from each other. People learn from being in community. People learn from hearing, um, you know, not a, not just able to share their story, but hearing others. Another thing that I've brought into the training process is, um, is a uh, indigenous process from First Nations, both African and Native American process. Um, you may have heard of peacemaking circles. No, and, I haven't heard that. What is that? Yeah. So in these circles, and this is what I do with a lot of groups as we gather information, is that, you know, they, they, they're hard to explain, but we sit in circle with these groups and we, we pose different questions or scenarios to the group, but it allows everyone to speak uninterrupted. There's no crosstalk. There's no questioning. We just, you know, present a question. For example, I might go into a group and say, you know, um, XYZ group from your perspective, from your, from where you sit in your job and the work that you do and your experience in this organization, tell us something that you believe the organization needs to stop doing. And when you give people a safe space to really talk openly and honestly about their experience, you'd be surprised what comes out. And we're able to take from that data. For example, I've sat in circle and someone has said, you know, I, I, I need, you know, my, 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 my colleagues to you know, be respectful of, you know, of, of lunches in the refrigerator. And that might seem like a really simple thing, but if you're working, you know, 12, 14 hours, you go to grab some food and someone's eating, you know, your lunch or taking your lunch altogether. And now you have to spend, the, imagine what you've lost in productivity. But, you know, oftentimes, this, you know, in this particular organization, they weren't dealing with that. But when this person spoke up, as we went around a circle, they'd be like, yeah, and this has caused us not to trust one another. This has caused a lot of gossip about who we suspect is doing it, you know, and it seemed like a very simple thing, but it, it, it was impacting this work group in a very significant way. And had we not opened up this circle and allowed people to share their experience, that would have ne never come up on a survey. And that was a big enough issue that that could have been divisive enough to really divide the culture then? Something as simple as no, stealing it, others' it, lunches? Or was that sort of an yeah. indicator that things were going off the rails? It, it, was, it, it, was, it was impacting. And, and it was a result of a work group that, that was not working together they had not built trust you know they were doing all the one fuzzy like pizzas on friday thing but they had a lot of underlying issues but they also had a leader who did not want to deal with conflict wow 
And so, so, so the root issue is really you, it sounds like you go into it, not even knowing what the root issue is you discover exactly. versus exactly. somebody tells you, Hey, joy, our root issue is this. You'd probably still use your discovery mode then, right? Yes, exactly. So that, 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 that culture audit, diversity audit, you know, brings out some things that, you know, going in, you know, maybe leadership who hired me might've thought, you know, this is where we need to focus. And then we begin to investigate and find, and sometimes it's something major and sometimes it's something as simple as we have leadership who will not deal with conflict. And when you do not live, when you will not deal with conflict, it's negatively affecting the entire team. And over time, it's now affecting our output. You know, it's affecting our um, ability to retain good talent because who wants to work in a toxic environment where even your lunch, you're, you're, you, you can't put your lunch in the refrigerator. Well, and then you, on top of that, put on the fact that I guess we're in the great resignation now where people are leaving even really good situations. But imagine a company that's got that kind of nonsense going on. It seems like they're going to, people are going to vote with their feet anymore. Exactly. Right. Well, Joy, there are two kinds of people who are hopefully listening to this today. There's the ones who are in the role where they need somebody like you to help them. And we're going to talk about them in a moment. But the other group that may be listening is somebody who might be saying, you know what? I want to do what Joy does. And yet I'm, I'm too old to join the army and I'm too old to join the police force. <laughs> I don't want to go to Rockford, Illinois. I mean, what is the path for someone who really wants to do this? The things that you do. You know, I, I get I get that a lot. Um, as if you know, I've, I've heard individuals say, you know, I'm really passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I want to do this work. And my answer to that is, you've got to put the work in, and that means to not just go and get a certificate or a degree in it, but to live some life. Because when you're in a room and you've only lived in, you know, maybe, you know, one region of the country, you could be standing in front of a group who's from, who's lived in every part of the country and every part of the country, every region of the country, you know, people are bringing different perspectives and, and, and different backgrounds to that. And so, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it looks easy, it sounds sexy, but it's not. And I found myself in the middle of, you know, some very challenging questions and, you know, situations where individuals, even in the room, how they address each other. And so holding space for a group of people, but holding a safe space that's respectful of all perspectives, all backgrounds, all opinions. That's a skill set that everyone does not have. And there are people who are great speakers, who might be great trainers, but this work requires the ability to listen and hold space and allow people to show up authentically so that you can really Hear what they're saying 
identify opportunities for improvement, and then begin to do that work. And sometimes to hear those different perspectives, to really listen and be respectful, some of it's not all pretty and it's not all warm, fuzzy, and it can be very uncomfortable. And, you know, there's data to support that the average person does not have the patience or the capability to sit in uncomfortable situations. Wow. So I guess if somebody would be interested in this, would you be willing to talk to them? Absolutely. Okay. Well, that's what I was hoping because that is probably, I don't know how you put that in any job description. It almost sounds like you got to have the experience and then learn the techniques after, right? Yes. Um, And, you know, it's unfortunate that oftentimes the work of diversity, equity, inclusion falls in the lap of the human resource department. You know, all of a sudden one day the human resource director or, um, you know, someone in that role is told, yep, you're in charge of diversity, equity, inclusion, and they have no education, no background, um, and, and maybe not even the temperament or the desire to work in that space. And, and you know, you send someone into a, a you know, situation where they're having difficult conversations in a space that they don't feel confident or comfortable in, what do you think the outcome is going to be? Oh my gosh. Yeah. That, wow. That would be the most tense situation where everybody's staring at each other and nobody's talking. Or let's just do the minimum. So let's just, you know, send out an email for, oh, it's June, it's pride month. Mm. Or, you know, let's do a potluck and everybody bring a dish from their culture and then we can check that box, the diversity, equity, inclusion. We're done. But the real work, you know, takes takes a certain level of knowledge, education and skill, temperament, as well as a heart and a passion for the work. Because I've had to sit with individuals, you know, who, you know, if if I create this safe space, who've told me you know, this is reverse racism. And you coming in to my organization, does that mean that I'm going to have to make room for someone who's going to take my job? And I can't just dismiss that. That That is that that is that person's reality. Mm-hmm. And if I'm here to be, you know, to, to, to be a positive force toward the change that this organization is needed, I have to honor those fears as much as I have to listen to and honor, you know, the the challenges and fears of someone from a marginalized community who doesn't see a pathway to leadership in their current organization. Everybody's voice has to be equally heard, respected, and responded to, not just ignored, Mm -hmm. not dismissed, not because I don't agree with you. So I'm just, I'm, you know, you're, you're, you're just, no. And, and someone who just decided, oh, this is, this is sounds exciting. This sounds sexy. So, you know, I've been, you know, I'm a good speaker. I'm just going to delve over into this realm. (laughs) Wow. They had no idea what they're getting themselves into based on what you've told us. Yeah. Involved in that. Yeah. Wow. Well, hopefully there'll be some people listening who say, okay, I've changed my mind. I'm not going to do that after. No, I don't want them to change their mind, but just understand that 
there's 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 work to be done. Well, when you mentioned earlier, you got to put in the work. I guess I didn't even realize that some of that work a person may not even realize they've already done or they're in the middle of right now. Right. Right. Wow. Well, on the other note, then, because there may be some people saying, well, I could definitely not do that, but (laughs) I definitely need some help. My organization needs help. I've just been told by my C-suite that I need to put together a DEI program, right? The big P word. Right. So if that's the people listening, how can they get a hold of you, Joy, so that you can come in and do the work that you do so that when it's done, it's not just checking the box, but we're actually going to make a marked difference. How do we get a hold of you? Right. I think the, the easiest way, you know, often, you know, in the past we would say, go to my website, but, um, I, most people connect with me on LinkedIn. Okay. So I'm on LinkedIn um, under Joy Johnson Carruthers here in Nashville, Tennessee, and my picture pops up and it's and it's got J Training Solutions. Or you can just simply email me. Um, my email is pretty long, but it's joy at jtrainingsolutions.net or go to my website www.jtrainingsolutions.net. Okay. Well, I will put all those tags in the show description. And uh, I'll just end with this, Joy. Uh, When I do podcasts, one of the reasons I wanted to do it, obviously, is to promote our company and help others promote. But I wanted to learn something. And I have to say today was that day for me. Uh, I just never put together the two and two of now we can see events unfolding in real time versus having people explain what's happened to us with the explanation that they choose to use. And that's an eye opener. So I appreciate that. And I also appreciate you taking time to spend an afternoon with us. So if you're listening, please reach out to Joy. If you're going to do this, let's do it right. And she is the one that will help you get it done. Joy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the HR Oxygen Podcast. We hope you found something today that will relieve your stress, feed your soul, and pump you up to face another day. At Boss Builders, we want to let you know that we appreciate the hard work you do every day as an HR professional. And as a reminder, always make sure to adjust your own oxygen mask before attempting to help those around you. Be well.